Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning is from John uh, 15. These are words that uh, should be familiar to you, but uh, they also should be familiar because um, we've been using them a lot in our uh, worship service. It's been part of a call to worship. When uh, the Reverend Cynthia Bogley was here and we did a pulpit swap on May 16th, I, b- I believe she preached from this passage as well. So here it is once again. It's probably one of the more powerful statements that Jesus makes on friendship. John 15, verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want you uh, just to imagine something with me. Imagine if you were to look out amongst the vast crowd and see 5,000 faces blank with hunger. It's an image that I have seen. It's an image that becomes all too real here on Sunday morning, especially if the worship service tends to go a tad long. Any preacher worth their salt will tell you that when the tummies in the pews start growling, there's really no point in going on any further. And Jesus was keenly aware of that one day. He knew that before he could divulge any more of his secrets about the kingdom of God, somebody was going to have to make a food run to giant. And so I invite you to join me now in our second scripture reading of the morning. It is also also from John's gospel. It's the sixth chapter as we're going to be looking at the feeding of the 5,000 from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Again, I invite you to follow along. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over, 
so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me again in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, uh, we've heard this story many, many times, but we pray today that it would come to us anew and afresh with new truth and fill us with the light and life and love of Jesus Christ as we pray it in his holy name. Amen. So Jesus uh, turns to Philip, who is from the uh, nearby neighborhood in Bethsaida, and he asks him, Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? And John, the gospel writer, who has this habit of sort of editorializing the moment, throws in his two cents and says, he said this to test him. Now, I want you to put yourself in Philip's place for just a moment. You have 5,000 hungry hikers heading toward right uh, right at you. And Jesus tells him, uh, Philip, this is your problem. In fact, I'm appointing you as chairman of the reception committee. And Philip gets that deer in the headlights look in his eyes. And he blurts out, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to just have a little bite. Now, Philip went on to be a great leader in the early church, but his less than enthusiastic reply to Jesus that day is still recorded for us in scripture to read. And so Philip kind of wimps out on that hillside and he flunks that big test. But friends, here is what I want you to know this morning. God can do a whole lot with even just a little if he has all of it and if he has all of us. Philip looks at that crowd and says, no how, no way, Lord, it can't be done. Say hello to Mr. Pessimist. Now, someone wants to find an optimist as a father who allows his teenage son to take the new family Mercedes out on Saturday night. A pessimist is one who won't, and a cynic is one who did. And I thank you for laughing. The people at 8 o'clock, they did not get it. So obviously the 10.30 crowd is either more awake or more intelligent. My apologies to the 8 o'clock crowd. <laughs> Good thing. We hope they don't watch this service later on. <laughs> well, Philip is a pessimist because he won't even entertain the possibility of trying to feed that larger crowd. And you know, we have probably all been in situations where the deck was stacked against us where we were up against the odds, where there's this charging elephant coming towards us, and the best we can muster up is a Nerf gun. And that is when we are tempted to sound a lot like Philip. Lord, there's no how, there's no way. Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy food? And if you heard it, Philip doesn't even answer the question. He defines the problem as a financial issue. He says, Lord, we don't have that kind of money. How many churches do you think in this past year had what we might call a Philip mentality? And what I mean by that is someone who has this boldness or this passion of faith, a new idea for ministry, 
And the church leaders get very timid and say, oh, we can't do that. We don't have that kind of money. <laughs> don't you know we're, we're in the midst of a pandemic? I want to say this genuinely and with all sincerity. I am so, so glad that we don't feel that way at Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church. We spent $1.3 million dollars that doesn't even include the Powell property project across the street. To renovate the sanctuary, including putting air conditioning. In the midst of COVID-19, when people were getting sick, people were quarantining, businesses were having to close temporarily and some shut their doors altogether. I have seen it this past year with my own eyes God doing extraordinary things here, maybe out of a simple idea, an act of faith, and often with very little resources available. In our scripture reading from John chapter 6, Jesus teaches Philip, and I believe you and me sitting here today, a lesson that life is more than just having an abundance of financial resources. Jesus always asks more from us than we think we have it to give. He wants us to love, even when it's really hard in our hearts to find it, to love someone else. He wants us to forgive, even when forgiveness and reconciliation seem impossible. He wants us to give, even when we have no idea where it's going to come from. He wants us to be a friend to the people we know, to the stranger in our midst, in all of the circumstances of people's lives. Now, the fact that Chestnut Level has done amazing ministry over the years is really a tribute to the friendships developed over the years in this congregation. And my thinking on that goes this way, that people who are sort of bound by this loyal love will often take on a huge challenge together that we never would have thought about doing just by ourselves. And last weekend being Memorial Day weekend, I think we see this most powerfully among soldiers in war. Uh, General uh, William uh, Westmoreland uh, was once reviewing a pl platoon of paratroopers when he was in Vietnam. And as he went down the line, he asked each of them the same question. How do you like jumping, son? The first one said, love it, sir. He asked the second one, how do you, uh, how do you uh, like jumping, son? And the second paratrooper said, the greatest experience in my life, sir. And so he asked the third, how do you like jumping, son? And that paratrooper replied, I hate it, sir. Well, that puzzled uh, General Westmoreland. So he asked him, well, then why do you do it? Why do you do it? And this is what the soldier said back to the general. Because I love being with these guys who love jumping, sir. We will sign on for hazardous duty just to be around the people that we love. Well, unfortunately, in the face of what seems incredibly hard and difficult, if not impossible, old doom and gloom Philip melts into a puddle. However, there's another disciple on that hillside by the name of Andrew, and he kind of provides a sliver of hope when he says, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but unfortunately, Andrew also melts into a puddle when he says, but what are they among so many people? So Andrew wasn't a pessimist, 
He was a realist. There's a story of an old Presbyterian pastor who climbs up a mountain and asks, Dear Lord, I've given you my life. I've given you my love. I've dedicated my entire life to spreading the good news. In my older years, I would like for you to grant me one wish. So God says, fine, you are granted one wish. Just don't make it unrealistic. So that pastor thinks for a while and says, you know, God, I would love a nice house down at the beach in the south where I can go every now and then to relax. And God says, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would take a lot of work and, and building materials. Please pick something more realistic. That pastor thought about it, and he thought about it, and he thought about it. Finally went back to God after several hours. All right, then, God, I would like for the New York Giants to be competitive <laughs> and win more games. To which God said, uh, would you like that beach house in North or South Carolina? <laughs> I came up with myself, by the way. <laughs> we could tell I heard that, yeah. <laughs> Andrew was a realist, uh, a practical nuts and bolts kind of guy. His logic is based on the economic principle of the law of supply and demand. He says, okay, Jesus, let's just look at the facts here. On the demand side, we have 5,000 people who are so hungry they could eat a horse. On the supply side, we've got five biscuits and two cans of tuna. And just in case you're wondering, Jesus, five plus two does not equal 5,000. It's simple arithmetic. Now, there was an unlikely person on that hillside listening intently to Jesus teach along the Sea of Galilee. This young boy in our story is probably about 12 years old, young enough to be called a boy, but old enough to be out on his own. Today, he would probably be in junior high. Now, we don't know a lot about him, but his dad may have been out on a fishing boat. Maybe mom had some errands to run around town, but she sent with him a brown bag lunch because she knew that he would be gone for several hours. And since he is an adolescent, he's probably one of the hungriest people in the crowd. So where does he position himself at this gathering? Not in the back like any good Presbyterian. Instead, he sits right up front, right amongst Jesus and the disciples, like any 12-year-old boy who wants to be where the action is. And he overhears Jesus say to Philip, Philip, we need food. And this teenager responds differently than Philip, differently from Andrew, differently from any of the other disciples. Because he doesn't look at the size of the crowd or try to calculate the impact that his gift may have. Instead, he says, food? I've got some food. My, my mom made me this lunch this morning. Here, Jesus, take my food. And he gives his lunch to the Lord. He sacrificed what he had. He ignored the rolling eyes of the disciples, the murmurs of the crowd. He knew, to, he knew something the adults didn't know. It's not how much you have. It's where you put it that matters the most. He put his lunch. He put all that he had that day in the Lord's hands. He gave over what he had to Jesus. And so it is with you and me. As stewards in the church of Jesus Christ, we give what we can to God in terms of our time and our talents and our skills and our gifts and our financial resources. We give it over to the Savior. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, John, I hear what you're saying, but if I give up my lunch, 
What, what difference will that make? In other words, if I give up a portion of my resources to God, like for this capital campaign or for some other ministry, is that really going to make a difference in that ministry? Is that going to make a dent in our mortgage? We get the answer to that question in verse 11 of the story. It says, then Jesus took the loaves. And by the time Jesus was finished with that boy's lunch, he had fed 5,000 men plus women and children. You see, five plus two plus Jesus Christ equals 5,000. In fact, five plus two plus 5,000 is plus Jesus Christ is greater than 5,000. Amazing things happen when we put our lunch in the Lord's hands. Eva Hart was uh, one of the oldest surviving members of the Titanic. You know the story. It plunged 12,000 feet in three hours after an iceberg ripped this giant gash in the side of the ship. 20 lifeboats were launched. But many of those uh, strayed far away from the carnage because they were afraid that the people who were still alive were, were going to cling to those lifeboats. They were going to make those boats too heavy. They might even capsize them. Only lifeboat number 14 rode back to the scene, listened to those cries for help in the darkness, and then picked up those few precious survivors, including this woman named Eva Hart. So just imagine that. One measly rubber raft became a haven for people who were lost and cold and hungry and thirsty. It really doesn't take very much. So as I close, I'll ask you this. Does God have your life this morning? Have you placed your loaves and your fish in his hands? Until you do, you will never know the difference that you can make. So this morning, I want to invite you to come forward to the Lord's table. On this Communion Sunday, on this first Sunday in June, because Jesus has promised to meet us here. I want you to be like the young boy who gave all that he had. And then I want you to know this, whatever you give, that Jesus Christ will bless and he will provide for us all that we will ever need as our Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and Friend. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.